Um, and we started a couple weeks ago, and we're going to finish studying chapter one tonight. Uh, so to, to start off tonight's lesson, I, I want to read a quote. Um, and this quote is this. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Who can tell me uh, which president quoted this in a famous speech? If you can tell me, um, I'll give you whatever you want from the snack bar. Um, let's see, who haven't I not chosen in a while? Sydney. Abraham Lincoln, yes. So after the lesson's done, um, Sydney, after the lesson's done, come find me and I'll get you whatever you want from the snack bar. Okay, cool. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln said this at a speech during the Illinois Republican uh, State Convention in Springfield on June 16th, 1858. Uh, this was a, a, a speech that he was addressing the reality of the state of the, the United States of America, that it was a divided country because of the issue of slavery. There was North versus South. And unfortunately for the United States' unity uh, did not happen until after the Civil War um, took place in an estimated of at least a minimum of 620,000. 620,000 people lost their lives serving in the Civil War. Now, the root cause of this division that we saw in the Civil War between the North and the South, the, at the root of it, yeah, the issue might have been slavery, but at the root, it was people's pride on the issue which they were standing for. The issue is the same root cause of any division which happens in our lives in the world today, and this is pride. Pride destroys unity because instead of thinking about the bigger picture, about the everyone else involved, pride only thinks and focuses on the individual person. Pride is defined in this way uh, in the Tyndale Bible Dictionary as uh, improper or excessive self-esteem known as conceit or arrogance. Improper and excessive self-esteem known as conceit or arrogance. Or in other words, pride is thinking higher of yourself than you should. It's elevating how you view yourself compared to other people. Now, I, I open up with this because we see pride, the, the sin of pride, breaking up unity in the passage that we're going to be talking about this evening. So if you please would open up your scripture notebook to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we're um, on that uh, first page of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 10. So if you have your scripture notebook open, if you forgot your scripture notebook because you left it at home, I have it on the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we're going to read through 17. Now, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. If you are following along in your scripture notebook, I would underline some of those key phrases in verse 10. That's going to be key that we're going to talk about later. Uh, but I'm going to keep reading for now. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. Another word to underline if you're following in your notebook. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? 
I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, and so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, though, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent, eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will be emptied of its effect. Now, so basically what we see happening here is that the people at the church of, of Corinth um, have forgotten their identity, which we talked about last time we were here. So two Sundays ago, we talked about identity in the beginning chapter, or the beginning part of chapter one. We talked about having our identity rooted in Christ. And what we see is that the people in Corinth have forgotten that their identity is supposed to be first and foremost in Christ. Now, instead of... Um, having Jesus as their go-to identity, we see the people of the church identifying with other people, and they do this to the point that there is rivalry among them. We see that there is rivalry among them. We see this in verse 12. Paul says, what I am saying this is one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? See, we in this verse, we see that instead of identifying with Jesus as their primary identity, the people in the church of Corinth were choosing prominent Christian teachers to identify with, and as a result, we see the church divided. Now, the church where people are supposed to be united. You think a church, when you walk in on a Sunday morning, if you go to church here or somewhere else on Sunday morning, you're supposed to see people united, right? Supposed to be showing Christ's love to one another. Where The church is supposed to be a, a place where um, the, everyone should be obeying the words of Jesus. Everyone is united because of their need for a Savior. The church should be a place where we have unity for the mission to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But instead of being unified in this church in Corinth, we see the complete opposite. We see a lot of disunity. We see division and rivalry because the people had lost sight of the higher identity, which is to be had in Christ. So to help kind of illustrate this, um, and I just want to repeat like that, that key uh, phrase, instead of being unified, we see in Corinth, in this church, that there is division and rivalry. And the root of that is because they lost their, the, the sight of the higher identity identity in Christ. Now, to, to help illustrate this, I just want to tell a story. So I'm currently discipling or mentoring a college football player. So maybe some of you who play sports might reson, uh, resonate with this, especially if you play football, you'll understand this illustration. While talking to this college football player, um, he was describing how um, they were struggling to win games, that their team um, just always ended up seeming to lose close games. And I asked him a question. I asked him, you know, what, what do you think is one of the reasons why your team hasn't been winning? His answer to me was this. He said, we are not unified. We are not unified. He says, we're one football team, but acting like we're three different teams. You have the offensive position players, the defensive position players, and the special teams position players. He says, we have a lot of talent, we have a lot of potential. We have a lot of talent in each of these positions or each of these teams to, to, to win football games and to play together. 
he says, but, but we're not unified. There's division in our football team. And I would propose that this was because the football players were so wrapped up in their identity and their position that they forgot their higher identity as being part of the bigger team. That they were so focused on themselves that when something went wrong, they pointed the finger to someone else and they never took responsibility. Or when things were going good, they never went to go encourage other teammates. They were only worried about themselves and how they looked. They were only concerned about themselves. Because of this, a team that had great potential on the football field ended up not winning many games at all. Because of their pride, it divided them and they forgot their bigger identity of playing on the same team. See, this is what's happening in the church of Corinth. People are on the same team. We're, they were on Team Jesus. But in, instead of choosing to focus on Team Jesus, they chose to focus on lesser identities of other human beings. And when you focus on lesser things in Christ, you're going to find divisions. You're going to find divisions. Okay, so this is kind of like, this first section is kind of like the what that's happening. This is the what that's happening, that Paul's describing, like, hey, this is what is happening in the church. This is one of the reasons why I'm writing this letter to you, um, because I heard this was this problem, and I'm just basically telling you what the problem is. In the next section that we're going to see, Paul's going to go a little bit more into um, the why. So let, let, let's keep reading 1 Corinthians. So keep your scripture notebook open. We're going to start at verse 18 and go through verse 25. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Like I said earlier, here we see the why behind Paul calling out the Corinthians, the Corinthians on, on their identity issues. You know, in verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing or those who are unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But it is power. It is the power of God to those who do confess Christ, to those who are being saved. So what I want you to do in verse 18, I want you to underline two words. I want you to underline foolishness, and I want you to underline power. If you don't have your scripture notebook with you, just write down the word foolishness and write down the word power. Paul says that to the unbeliever, those who haven't trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, he says that the gospel is foolishness or appears to be foolish for them. And this is because Paul's examples here are the Jews and the Greeks. Um, he's, he's referencing this because uh, the Jews were expecting a Messiah that would overthrow 
the Roman government that was oppressing the Jews. The Jews wanted somebody to bring in a new government system where they weren't oppressed, that they would have peace and prosperity. They wanted a strong Messiah, a strong Savior, a Savior to save them from earthly suffering. The Greeks, or the people who lived in Corinth that weren't Jews, um, that were from Greece, thought that the gospel of Jesus is foolish because who would want to believe in a God that took on human form to die on a cross brutally? Why would I want to believe in a God like that? To both groups, it would seem foolishness to anyone who doesn't understand the real reason behind the gospel of Jesus and why the gospel of Jesus is good news. But we, those who believe in Christ, who commit our lives to Christ, who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we understand that this isn't foolishness. We know why the, the cross is the power of God who is, uh, who is for us, who are being saved. We understand this verse 18. We do, because we recognize that, hey, without Christ, I know that I'm a sinner, that without saving, without confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, I know that I'm, I'm apart from God. I can do nothing on my own to be in a right relationship with God, that apart from Christ, I am destined to spend eternity apart from God in hell. And that is, that is awful news. If you don't know that Jesus came to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven. If you don't know that, you're just living along, unaware of the reality that you are separated from God unless you accept Christ's forgiveness on the cross. And that's why it's such a tragic when we read about countries that like don't have a major gospel presence because you have millions and millions of people not knowing the good news of the gospel. And so we know that it doesn't just stop there, that like, hey, I know that I'm a sinner, that I'm separated from God. We also know that because Jesus died for us, that the, his sacrifice was sufficient payment for the sins of the world, that we know that if we trust in Jesus as Savior and confess him as Lord of our life and give him our life and give him control, that we will be saved from our sins. That we don't have to face separation from God for eternity. We don't have to face his wrath, but rather we can feel and that we can live in the love of God that he has for humanity. See, like that is good news. And we understand that because we understand sin. We understand the power of sin, but we also understand the greater power of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so for those who believe the cross isn't foolishness, it's our only hope. And it's good news for us. And so that's what Paul's trying to get at. He's like, hey, like, we have the hope. Let's actually act like it. Let's put our identity in that hope. So let's finish up first, uh, chapter 1 in Corinthians. So follow me again with your Scripture notebook. We're going to go to verse 26 through 31. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, consider your calling not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of no noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. 
It is from that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now, the big idea that we see in this last section, that's kind of more of the application section of our scripture this evening, is that because of the power of God in Christ, we should boast in the Lord. Because of the power of God in Christ, we should boast in the Lord. This means that for those of us who are professing believers, those who confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, that we boast, we should praise God, we share openly and boldly that even though we may have weaknesses, we confess and we boast that God is strong, God is mighty, He's big enough to overcome death and sin, and He is powerful enough to forgive our sins and change our hearts. And this is something that we should be boasting about. Now, what this kind of looks like in a practical way is this. So, I'll give some practical examples. I'll be really vulnerable and honest with you um, of the journey that I have had continued to go through with this sin of pride and who am I boasting in, myself or the Lord? Because that's really the question that it comes down to. So I was an athlete, like many of you in this room. I participated in school sports. I was a basketball player. And early on, when I was in middle school and high school, I thought that I was defined by how I performed on the basketball court, that in order for people to like me and view me in a good way, that I had to perform well on the basketball court. What that led to was me trying to persuade people that I was good in basketball, that I was trying to show people up, that if someone thought that they were better, I took them one-on-one because I had to show them that I was better. Because for me, my identity, what I found myself worth in was basketball, that I had to prove myself better than anyone else. And I lived that way for a number of years. I wasn't boasting in God. I wasn't giving glory to God. I was only concerned about myself and how I looked. In reality, I didn't even recognize that God gave me the gift. I thought that I had worked for it. Now, when I got saved, when I confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life, and I gave my life to Jesus and recognized I needed a Savior, when I played basketball, I was no longer playing for me. I was playing to glorify God. So when someone came up to me and was like, hey, you had a great game, I'd be like, hey, you know, praise God, because it's not of me. God is the one that gave the gift and the skill. So praise God, not me. You know, I also, with working with pride, I just want to share another example of this, is that growing up in this community, in a small town community, it can be really easy to get into this notion of wanting to have an appearance, a good appearance. So if you don't know, a running joke in my family is that I'm either related to half the town or someone from the town knows someone I'm related to. Uh, Because my grandpa was one of 12, and they all, most of them still live in the area. Um, so So for me, growing up in this area, I thought that I had to prove to other people that I was a good person that I had to be a people pleaser, that when they asked me to do something, I said, I always said yes, and that I had to look like I had my life together because I wanted people to think better of me. I was still living my life as if it was about me. 
not about glorifying God. And so as I got saved and as I continued in life, like this is something I still wrestle with. Don't get me wrong. Like I haven't overcome this perfectly. Like I still wrestle with this. You know, am I looking a certain way? Am I acting a certain way to glorify God and to make him more known? Or am I doing it because I want to look good? Or I want the attention. I want the approval. There's two different mindsets. A mindset that's living for self that's very prideful because I think I'm worthy of that. The other mindset is, I know I'm not worthy of that. God is worthy of that. So I'm going to live to glorify God. And my identity is rooted in Christ because in Christ, he says, I'm a new creation. I'm loved. In Christ, I am sanctified. I am holy. I am set apart. In Christ, God sees me as perfect. So I don't have to win the approval of others in different areas of my life no matter what it is, that I can find my identity in Christ and what He calls, what He says about me. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to rest there. And so for you, maybe it's, I just want to ask this question. I was like, you know, how should this truth change your life? I mean, I, I shared a couple ways of how it changed my life and how it continues to change my life. But I want you to write this question down. I really want you to, to think through this of how should um, this change my life? The follow-up question to this that you should also take note of is what areas or area in your life are you prone to put your pride over, your pride over boasting in Jesus? Because this is the main problem in the church of Corinth is that they were putting their pride above boasting in Christ. And because of that, they caused divisions and there was a lot of issues in the church. So we can look at that same root problem in the church of Corinth, and we can ask ourselves that same issue, you know, like, what area am I prone to put my pride above boasting in Jesus? Because I, I, I want you to take time to, to think about these questions and um, write them down and, and think about them and, um, yeah, ask God to, to reveal those things in your heart, because where pride is in our lives where pride is in our lives, other than boasting in Jesus, and pride in ourselves, where that is exhibited in our lives, there's always the potential for division to take place. Where there is pride in our lives, there's always potential for division to take place. So, we need to be honest with God. Be like, hey, God, where are areas in my life where I'm putting my pride, my identity over boasting in Jesus? And ask him to reveal those to you. Because at the end of the day, why this all matters, like the big question of like, so what, is that we are called to be unified. We're called to be unified as believers. Not only because we should believe in the same gospel that we're all sinners and we're all in need of grace and we're all in need of Jesus, and that should unify us at the very least, but also we should be unified as a way to glorify God because God himself is unified. Think about it for a moment. Here's big picture takeaway, or big picture so what, or so why. God is three persons, right? Trinity, Father God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. We'll get into all that later at a different time, different date, if that seems too confusing. But they are perfectly unified. And if we're on mission to glorify God, and that is our main purpose on earth, 
then if I'm supposed to glorify God, I'm going to be unified with those who confess Christ, even if they're different than me, even if they might hold different opinions, even if they look different or act different. Maybe they're not as popular in me as me in school, or maybe they hang with different friend group, or maybe they do a different sport or whatever. If they share Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that's enough to unify us. And even if there's different personalities, because of Christ, that alone should unify me to that person. And in that way, I'm exhibiting and glorifying God, three different persons, one unified God. So if our mission is to glorify God and to represent Him on earth, we should also have a focus to be unified with other believers. So I just want to challenge you with that. I want you to think through some of those questions, especially as you go into small group. And I just want um, to ask that question and be focused on what areas in your life are you prone to be putting your pride over boasting in Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight, and just thank you for the opportunity that we get to open your word. God, because we do believe that your word is true, that your word is active, and that um, your word is beneficial for training and equipping us to glorify you and to be more like you. God, I pray for all the students um, who don't have a personal relationship with you. God, I just want to pray that um, that you would convict them, that you would reach out to them, and that um, they would open their hearts to you um, and, and confess you as Savior and Lord of their lives. God, for those who who do know you and have a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would glorify you in our relationships with each other, that we would be unified, that we would put aside our pride and that we would boast in you and in you alone. And I pray that prayer for each student here tonight, that we would boast in you and in you alone. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.